0: if you saw the title of this morning's message you might be recognizing that it is rather timely here we are two days before a national election and and you know if you've been paying attention at all like if you've been alive if you've had a pulse you know that this has been a very contentious season, a contentious year, not only because of the elections, but because so many other things going on in society and in our culture. I bet if I were to have given you a homework assignment before you came to church, okay, I want each of you to write a 1,000-word report for me describing 2020, Okay, I, I am guaranteed there is not one person who would have used the word civil to have described this year, 2020. In fact, I think probably a lot of us would have said the opposite. We would have written uncivil. We would have said angry. We would have said hostile. We would have said ugly. We would have not have used the word civil. Now, I don't know, maybe you're not like familiar with using that word, that descriptive word, civil. It's like an adjective, you know, uh, to behave in a civil manner. Really simply, and we'll get to a deeper definition in a little bit, but basically it means being polite. It means being well-mannered in our interactions with others. And I wanna ask you, what is so positive about being civil anyway? Like if someone is a jerk, Isn't it my responsibility to tell them they're being a jerk? Like if someone is impolite, why should I be polite to them? If they're not using good manners, then why should I be good-mannered? Those are really good questions. And I think that what we're going to see today in the book of Philippians in chapter 2, the apostle Paul is going to answer those questions for us. And just two days away from the elections, where there's a lot of incivility happening in our community and in our nation, I think it's really important that we understand God's heart for this matter. But just before Paul talks about civility, he has a few other words that are going to lead into his comments about being civil. And it's really really important that we would kinda like look at what he says just before his comments about civility because it's gonna set up what he's going to tell us and what we're gonna hear from God about being civil people. So check out what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. This is what Paul says. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I love this, I mean, and it's, it's a really weighty kind of section of scripture here. And he says to work out your salvation. Notice this, he doesn't say work for your salvation. We don't work for our salvation. God's salvation is a gift that we receive freely. It is through grace that we're saved, not by any works, right, that we can do, because none of us could work hard enough, long enough, none of us are that good. We need God's grace, amen? We need God's grace, amen? Amen. Come on, I gotta help you guys out this morning. Listen, we don't work for God's salvation, but we're instructed to work out our salvation. Work it out. And when I was thinking about what it means to work it out, it really is kind of like a math problem, right? Like you gotta work out that math problem. Some of you are really good at that, others not so much, myself included, okay? But working out our salvation is kind of like working out a math problem. In other words, figure it out, and there's, There's times in our lives, especially when we face really challenging circumstances, that you know what, it's hard to figure out our salvation because God, it's like if if I'm saved, if I know you, then what is all this over here on this side of the equation? Why am I experiencing these hardships? Why am I going through these difficulties? Why am I still feeling all angry and hostile and chaotic inside if your salvation is there. And you know what God says, and Paul is reminding us? Figure it out, figure it out. We have to like work at this, work out our salvation. There have been times in my life that I've had to do that. There have been times in my marriage that I've had to work out my salvation. In other words, I've had to figure out, okay, what does it look like to have Jesus alive in me and to somehow allow that to leak out into my married life. Just ask Kelly about that. And we've gone to counseling, right? Because counselors are like math tutors for life. They help us to figure out sometimes those hard, difficult things. I remember when my dad left my mom. I was like deep into my 30s when it happened, but I was racked. I was just so angry and hostile. And actually taking it out on my dad. And I had to work out my salvation at the really a really difficult time. Listen, when life is easy and everything's just going smooth, not a lot to work out. We're just happy in Jesus, everything's going good. But when life throws us curveballs, when there are challenges and when there are difficulties, we have to work out our salvation. We have to figure it out. Paul says, and it says we, we work it out with fear and trembling. Well, why would we like, have to figure, out, figure it out with fear and trembling? Here's why. Because how we work it out is a big deal. It is a huge deal that we figure it out. Because the implications, the impact of our life on these things if we don't figure it out is huge and consequential. I mean, not only could it mess everything up in our soul, but then we become people who spread that ugliness around to even the people who are closest to us, whether it's in our homes, whether it's to our neighbors, whether it's the people we work with, the people who we even go to church with. It's like it's so important that we like figure this out. And so Paul says, work this out with fear and trembling because there are consequences long-term consequences to us getting this right. So really take it seriously is what Paul is saying here. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but then it says, for God is at work in you. Which, oh, okay, now this is beginning to make sense. It's not just, you know, me doing all the work of like, I've got to figure it out. I've got to do this huge math problem of life and my faith. It says we can do that because God is at work in you. Praise the Lord. In other words, God has not left you alone to figure this out. God has actually given us his Holy Spirit who is alive in us to encourage us, to challenge us, to correct us. You know what, to go with this math problem idea, it's almost like God has this highlighter, right, called the Holy Spirit, and he's like, you know, like making marks on the paper of our life. He's saying, hey, do you see this right here? Yeah, you might wanna re-look at that. That doesn't exactly fit, does it? This does not exactly represent your hope in me, does it? Yeah, so there's things that sometimes don't fit, and so he takes out that highlighter and marks it up we can work out our salvation because God is at work in us. (laughs) Praise the Lord, I am not alone. And then it says, it says God is working at me to will and to act according to his good purpose. So why would we do this? Why would we say, okay God, I'm gonna do your will and not mine. I'm willing to work things out according to my faith and get it figured out in my life. Why would I wanna do that? Because it's for a good purpose. Listen, if I was left on my own and I didn't work out my salvation, I didn't figure out how my faith works into my, my life, If I just tried to live life on my own and said, God, I don't want you at work in my soul. I'm gonna push you out over here. You know what, I know myself well enough to recognize it would not go well for me or for those around me. If God is working in me for a good purpose, if I'm left to my own devices, you know what, most of the time, it's gonna turn out ugly. How about you? Come on. I don't know if I I should hear a lot of amens on this one. But listen, if we're just left on our own, doing our own thing, kind of pushing God out, most of the time it is going to end poorly. Not only for us, but for all those in our inner circle that we are having contact with. We hurt ourselves, we end up hurting others. But that is not God's purpose for you. It's not God's purpose for me. God is at work in us to work out his good purpose. It is good. It is life-giving. It is hope-filled. It is for your good that he is at work. Isn't that awesome? So, So Paul is reminding us of this whole thing. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us to get our will and our actions aligned to his good purpose. And the very first thing that we're now told, okay, that was was like the lead up to his comments about civility because the very first thing that he says when he says to figure this out, Figure out how life really works. Figure out your salvation. Work it out with his help. The very first thing he says comes in verse 14. He says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Very first thing we're told after he says work it out, work out your salvation with God's help because he's working in you. He says don't grumble and don't argue. What is? Grumbling. Grumbling is that inner voice of incivility. It's that grumpy, angry, cynical inner voice. In fact, don't you just love the word grumble? You know, uh, I think English teachers would call that maybe an onomatopoeia or something like that, one of those fancy words, meaning that it sounds like what it is. You know, grumble, 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 grumble. Grumble, 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 grumble. It's, it's, it's that angry, grumpy, cynical voice that lives inside of us. And Paul says, do everything without grumbling. Right? But it's very difficult. It's really hard because we are looking at our life situation and we're going, this doesn't make sense. Why would this be happening to me? Like, I like love God. I've like given my life to Jesus. Why would this difficult thing be happening in my situation? And by the way, that person who's making my life miserable is an idiot, right? And fill in the blank, whoever that may be, right? Dad, mom, husband, wife, child. Boss, co-worker, presidential candidate. Oh! And when we get that, oh, that person is just making my life. Why are they like that? Why is this situation like that? It can just trigger, right? That grumpy voice of grumbling inside of us. And listen, some of us, are really good at smiling on the outside when we're grumbling on the inside. Ouch. Like, I keep a smile on my face, but inside I'm saying, you are a world-class idiot, right? You are, <laughs> who do you think you are to make all this misery around you, right? And a lot of, a lot of times that happens. But that grumbling is that inner voice of incivility And we all know that, guess what happens? If we allow that to go unchecked, that grumbling spirit and that grumbling voice in us, it is going to leak out. You ever been there? I have. And then he goes on, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So grumbling is an inner voice of incivility, but guess what? Arguing is the outer voice of incivility. This is where the selflessness and humility that we talked about over the last two weeks kind of flies out the window, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves, instead of being selfless and humble, we become arrogant and proud, and we just want to tell people people why they're wrong you don't have a clue again you're an idiot you know and there's this argumentativeness that can come over us that doesn't belong there instead of laying down our rights to serve others because of our love and our mission what we do is we pick up our rights and we use them to beat people over the head and we take on this argumentative spirit. I'm right. You're wrong. You're an idiot. Now let me tell you why. But Paul says this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now that, that is a hard statement. And, and I have not been perfect in this. I have not worked all of this out or figured all of this out. I am in process. But man, I mean, it's challenging. And we could ask the question, Paul, who do you think you are to tell us to do everything without grumbling or arguing? Paul, you did not live through 2020. Sorry, my friend. You don't have a leg to stand on, or does he? Because if you would remember, going back to this beginning of this series, looking at the book of Philippians, here are three things we know about when Paul was writing this letter. Number one, he was a Roman prisoner at the time. Oh, yeah, that that probably wouldn't have been good, huh? Yeah, no, it was not good. Then second thing we saw is that not only was he a Roman prisoner, but that there was actually people outside of prison that were stirring up trouble for him so it would be harder on him while he was in prison. There was troublemakers in his life. Yeah, well, that wouldn't have been good either. And then the third thing we looked at is that Paul knew that death was very potentially right around the corner in his situation, that he may not make it out of this alive, and indeed, he did not. He died a Roman prisoner. And when we take a look at the context from which he wrote that, then we're struck by the reality, oh, maybe Paul did have a clue about what he was talking about. Maybe he was getting some downloads from the Holy Spirit about this is how to work out your faith in your life, how to work out your salvation, even in the midst of incredible difficulty. Incredible challenges. And you know what? I know a lot of people this year that have gone through some very, very difficult things. Losing jobs, losing loved ones, losing health. All kinds of things have rocked us. But you know what? I don't know one person, and there's likely some in the world that are facing the same thing Paul has, but none of us have been thrown into prison because of our faith. People stirring up trouble for us that could ultimately lead to our death. And Paul said, in the midst of the grossest, most challenging, difficult situations that we're ever gonna face, says, do everything. Do everything without grumbling, without arguing. Listen, as a reminder about what it means to be civil, here's a little definition we'll put up on the screen there for you. Civility is just this, it's being polite and well-mannered to others. Being courteous in order to bring peace to challenging social situations. Can I tell you that civility has nothing to do with being weak. It has nothing to do with being fearful and being a pushover to others. It simply means allowing the grace that God has extended to us somehow be, be able to be pressed out into our interactions with others. So that when others are incivil, impolite, bad-mannered, that we have a very different thing going on that is coming out from our lives, that we can be civil in the midst of a culture that is very incivil. And notice that civility starts on the inside and then works its way outside. Don't grumble, right? Then don't argue. In other words, there's something that, is, that has to happen inside of us first. We have to tame that grumbling spirit that voice of grumpiness and anger and, and cynicism that wants to just like take over our, our thoughts about where our country is headed and, and, and where this group is, you know, what they're saying, they're so wrong. And, and, and man, even people in my house, right? It's like, oh, we, we've got to calm that voice in us before we're going to be able to calm that arguing voice that wants to come out of us. If we don't first tame our inner critical grumpy voice, it will become our outer angry voice. And what a message for today, right? Just two days away from this major election. And this past season our nation has been anything but civil. And it has not just been noisy grumbling, it's actually led to angry, violent, arguing and you know what breaks my heart probably most of all is that that hasn't just been happening outside of the church it's actually been happening inside the church people who have committed their lives to Jesus have been very uncivil towards one another in some very harsh and hurtful ways I could just tell you stories, but I probably don't need to because I think you're aware of other stories in your circle of friends. Of people, believers, kind of unfriending each other. You know, cancel culture. Well, if you don't vote the way I vote, forget it. And that happens on both sides. Liberals saying, if you're a conservative, you're a this, that, blah, 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 you're out. And it happens with conservatives saying, if you're liberal, You just don't get life, and you don't really understand your faith. And there's an incivility. People that have, in their anger, in their frustration, allowed this grumbling and argumentative spirit to take root where it never has belonged. People accusing one another, speaking hateful things, about one another. And so I wanna finish with what Paul finishes here. Why, why why would we be civil? What, What is the big deal about this? And Paul says three, I think, very practical things about why it's so important for us to be civil in a moment like this in our nation's history. I wanna read that passage again and then we'll just break down these three things. He says this in verses 14 through 16 of Philippians 2. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. So I wanted to show you really quick three things here why Paul says this is so important for us to consider. Why God would believe that it is important for us to be civil when so much incivility is happening in the world around us. Number one, Paul says be civil to become blameless. Be civil to become blameless. Now, there's word blameless here that Paul uses. This does not mean like sinless perfection, like there's nothing wrong at all still in our lives. What this word means is living above reproach. It's the sort of thing that means like when you, when you cease grumbling and arguing, when you, when you choose a life of civility, it takes away the opportunity for people to point a finger at you and say, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you followed Jesus. And so when he says that civility will lead to blamelessness, he's actually saying that it takes away the blame out of our lives, that other people would be able to find blame about us and accuse us of not following after Jesus. In other words, the world is watching our lives. The world is watching you, and how you talk, how you grumble, or if you argue. The world is watching, and our testimony as believers is at stake here. And all believers are called to work out our salvation, that God has worked in us, and much of this working it out is so that people outside of relationship with Christ would be able to say, Oh, now I see. Now I see what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And it happens simply through choosing to be civil instead of being filled with grumbling and arguments. When we're not civil, when our attitudes and actions do not reflect the selfless humility of Christ, we are inviting accusation. See? Yeah, they're, they're no different than, than I am. Those people who say they follow Jesus, they're no different than me. But then he gets to the second point of why we should be civil. Not only do we be civil in order to become blameless and above reproach, but it says be civil to shine, to shine. See, when we get it right, when we choose civility over incivility, wow it says then you will shine among them like stars in the sky i love that i love that imagery and that metaphor and when you think about it 2020 has been one of the darkest times in fact i would say it's been the darkest times in all of our lives who are alive today this has been the darkest year that any of us could have ever imagined. And guess what Paul is saying about what is going to make you and I as followers of Jesus different during these dark days? Being civil. Who would have guessed that just being polite, being kind, being well-mannered, stopping the arguments before they start Stepping into other people's situations where you see a fight brewing and step in and and say, hey, that's, that's not the way. Let me show you a different way. But just by how we model our lives, our inner conversations and our outer conversations with others. Who knew that this would be the way that God is saying, this is how you're to shine as my children. As my followers, this is how you can shine. By doing everything without grumbling or arguing. Bright lights shine brightest when it's the darkest at night. Get ready to shine bright. I was thinking about this and... And remember, you know, I mean, it's, it's only a couple months until we're celebrating the Christmas season. And, and do you remember what guided people to Jesus? It was the star. It was that star that led people to Jesus, those wise men. And guess what, in this year, 2020, we get to be like that star in the dark night sky just by being well-mannered and being polite. We get to be people who will point others to Jesus. Don't you love that? And then here's the last thing that Paul drops in there. He says, one, we should be civil in order to be blameless so that other people can't point an accusing finger at us or at Jesus. Second, he says, hey, be civil because this is what's gonna actually cause you to shine. And then he says this, be civil Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. This is what it it says there, it says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. As we hold firmly to Jesus. Now remember, the word of life, that is Jesus. I mean, you just read the first chapter of the book of John and you know, oh, the word, is Jesus himself in the flesh. And so when when Paul says here, hold firmly to the word of life, what he's saying is he's saying, wrap your arms around Jesus. Hold firmly to him. And, And it causes us to question, what am I holding firmly to? What do I have my arms wrapped so tightly around? You know, and today, I mean, and in this season that we're in, just a couple days before a major election, we've got to ask ourselves, you know, am I wrapped more firmly around a political party or am I more firmly wrapped around Jesus himself? What am I holding so firmly to? Or maybe a better way to ask it or a different way to ask it is this. Where is your hope? Is your hope in Jesus? Is your hope in The resurrected Christ is our hope in people who may make some, you know, political changes and then, you know, six months later, they're gonna make some other political changes and then another group of people are gonna come in and they're gonna make some other changes. In other words, everything that we base our life around is like sinking sand. But Jesus is the rock. It is only when we stand on him It is only when we firmly grasp that Jesus is the answer and in him is not only our hope but the hope for the world that this makes any sense. Remember, Jesus is at work in us. We're not only to work out our salvation, but he is alive and at work in us. And it says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, It enables something to change within us. Something that transforms. We go from incivility to civility. We go from being grumpy, grumbling, and arguing to those who are going to be able to show people a different way. To show people that there is life and hope and truth and beauty Beyond all of these things that we're seeing, they're oftentimes pretty ugly in our world. And who knew that it would have come through just being civil? And so I'm I'm asking this of myself, I'm asking this of you. Will you join me? And will you join Paul? And will you join Jesus? On a pathway of civility this week, No matter what happens, remember the first message in this series, whatever happens, conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So will you do that this week? Will you just set in your heart right now that, God, I know this is really difficult for me, God, I so often am taken over by that grumbling spirit when I hear those people talk, or when I hear you know, those news people say all these things. It just gets me triggered. But Jesus, I am committing myself to a different path. I am committing myself to work out my salvation, knowing that you are at work within me, and it's going to lead to a transformed life where I'm gonna speak hope and life and encouragement, not because I'm caving in, but because I'm following you. And I believe that when we do that, God will actually give us words of wisdom and words that are gonna make a real difference rather than just being another tweet or another Instagram or another Facebook thing that's just railing on other people, that God is gonna give us wisdom and insight that is gonna have the possibility to actually break through and make a difference in our world. Would you join me? Let's be those kinds of people. Let's be that kind of church. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, we know that this world, oh, it is filled with trouble and it is filled with reasons to grumble and argue. We know that the world is like that because it's filled with people just like us who do not have life all figured out. People like us who are still working out their salvation. But God, we take hope because you did not leave us to figure life out on our own. You are alive and at work within us so that we can have transformed lives of hope. We can be positively civil. Not grumbling and civil, but we can be positively civil because we are following you, Jesus. In fact, if there's anybody that is here today or anybody that is watching online, and and you're like, you know, I don't know if if I've ever started to work out my salvation. I've never tried to figure out what faith actually looks like. Well, the best place to start is to recognize that Jesus has already been at work in you. And so all you have to do is say yes to him and to his work in your life. Say yes to what he is doing because he's calling you into his family. He is calling you right now. He knows your name, he knows your story, and he loves you like no one else. In fact, he loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And right now, he's speaking your name, he's calling your voice. And he's saying, would you just say yes to my gracious gift of salvation? It's I am here for you and I am for your good. And if you wanna say yes to Jesus today, if you wanna say, Jesus, I've been living my own life, I've been doing my own thing, but God, now I wanna come in and enter your family. I wanna be your child. I give my life to you. I will live for you. If that's you, if you're here, right here on our campus, if you're in our courtyard, just like wave your hand at me and say, yeah, that's me. That's what I want to do. Yes, amen, I agree with you. Anybody else out in the courtyard, wave big so I can see you. And if you're online, we have some online pastors that are right there with you right now. And you can just go into the comment section and say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. And they're gonna reach out to you. Not only are they gonna pray for you, but they're gonna put a link out there right now of of how you can access some information about how to grow in saying yes to him. Church, you're loved. You are loved. Be empowered this week to be civil. When people wanna engage in arguments, smile. Smile and shine, because you're gonna shine like stars on a dark night. Bring hope to the hopeless and bring truth to those who are looking for it. In Jesus' name. See again after the elections, I'm looking forward to bringing a good word next week, no matter what is happening. Because no matter whatever happens, we're going to live our lives worthy of the gospel. Amen. Let's go for it. Have a great week, church. You are loved.